once this warms up, we'll be ready to go. But um, I think we're moving on to the next chapter, Christ Plays in History. Hopefully we are. That's what I prepared for. And um, I'm assuming by the by this time in the book that you are now noticing uh, certain themes of creation that are now playing out into to history. Did I plug it in? No, I I don't think you need any lights off, actually. Yeah, positive. There was something up there before, wasn't there? That's exactly right. Yeah, right. All right, well, you know what? Forget about it. I can't worry about it anymore, so. Well, I, I can see it perfectly here, so. And we should gather around. No. That's right. We'll take five minutes each. Now, um, okay, here we go. Exploring, exploring in the neighborhood of history, uh, this first section. Let me actually. Yeah, we're starting at 133. Hopefully that was, uh, will be great. Yeah, it's functioning. Yeah. This. First of all, my first question was, uh, what is history? I think Henry Ford has a, a, a famous, I, I gave it to Henry Ford, but has a famous saying about history being one damn thing after another. And in the introduction of exploring the neighborhood of history, uh, Peterson does, in fact, uh, completely disagree with that. 
And he's going to be using the four Gospels as a way of defending his, his, uh, his view here. Uh, how does Peterson engage the history of Scripture? He doesn't actually use history per se. He actually um, speaks of it in narrative, which is story. So the biblical writers don't sit down and write the Bible in terms of this happened here, next happened here, this happened here, this happened here. But they actually write their history uh, saturated with meaning. So that, how many people have seen... uh, Ray, or Walk the Line, or those are all historical people. These are stories, though, not historical um, textbooks or documentaries. But they actually take real people, real stories, and now, I mean, uh, real events, I should say, and then now tell a story. Not a story just about Johnny Cash or Ray Charles, but a story now that we can actually relate to. It's not simply about that person anymore, but now we are wrapped into the story of Johnny Cash, Ray Charles. Um, I know, isn't that crazy? Yay! Let's just... I have a feeling, though, I've probably not. uh, Initially, the problem is we're not hooked up to the network down here via wireless. So I I hope it's still on my computer. If not, well. But Eugene Peterson, basically, he tells this story um, of his friend, Garrison. Wow. Unbelievable. It works. Um, Covatus. Anybody see that movie or read that book? Okay. Uh, Carol, could you inform the rest of the group? Who has? I mean, I don't think it's very popular. I'm surprised actually. Yeah, old school. Covatus. Well, my understanding of Covatus is where are you going? And one of the things about these biopics and um, kind of a popular culture view of history is that. These stories are kind of um, told in a sense of a journey, that history is actually progressing, going somewhere, that history is actually serving a purpose and is heading towards that purpose. History is very uh, 
it's saturated with purpose and meaning. And one of my questions would be, do you live in a Rubin kind of world? Rubin, this is a 17th century painting by Rubens. He's a Dutch guy. Um, what do you see here? Our life looks lovely. All right. The reason why I asked this question, do you live in a Rubin kind of world? Um, and this is related to the first, uh, basically, chapter of the, of the book here. You should be, yes. Right. Um, at the end of my uh, Johnny Cash uh, presentations, I asked three questions. And the first question was, do you live in a biblical world? Is your world uh, defined and viewed through the biblical lens? Because if it's not, then, then your world is merely biology, which I think Peterson brings up. If your world is not uh, viewed through the biblical world, then history is simply one damn thing after another. And what Reuben captures here, first of all, Reuben, Reuben uh, is a sacred artist. He, he's got a bunch of sacred images, which are wonderful. And then he has these landscapes. And for, for an artist uh, to understand Reuben and to understand this, you don't, you don't have to come to this landscape, uh, or, or you can't come to this landscape apart from all the other art that he painted. So Reuben is not thinking about uh, this wonderful landscape according to uh, Isaac Newton's law of physics or a uh, PBS view of nature. But he sees this, this image right here through a Genesis 1 creation. God being the creator, sustainer. This is an image of, of God's work, of God's meaning. Colossians 1 is... Uh, Basically, 1, 15 through probably 20. Uh, Jesus Christ being the firstborn of all creation. Nothing was made was, was made without him. And we see that in the rainbow. The rainbow is a testimony of God's promise that he will not destroy the world. Along with that, though, is, um, which I should probably put like Genesis 8, I suppose I could have put up there too, in Noah. The rainbow is also connected to covenant. That's God's promise. And all of God's promises in the Old Testament are uniquely connected to the sacrifice of Jesus. So you have this wonderful image of the gray and the um, stormy clouds on the right, given way towards the sun or the, the clear side clear skies on the left. And that is actually, what you see is, you actually see the creed. I think that was the family of the Trinity that Peterson brought up earlier in the book. Gigi. You 
Uh, it's mainly because of my copy. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Well, actually, I, 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 don't, I, don't know, uh, I don't know enough about the painting, but that could be, too. Who knows? Actually, Absolutely. I was just going to say, either or, it still serves the same purpose. Is that um, so? Now, yeah. So now, when we approach history, we see history as a salvation story, which is Peterson's point. He talks about how this uh, story of Jesus and the world is not a success story per se, because Jesus, you know, dies. He he's murdered. However, it's a salvation story, and. And, and and Kirby, when you you brought up the you know this uh, making a hard life look serene and everything, um, it's still it's still a, a struggle, hard life of of agriculture, and uh, and Reuben actually in the use of the farmer. I don't know, does anyone have an agrarian background? I don't know. If, um, my grandpa and my, my dad, they all still live out. I mean, not my dad, but my dad's side of the family still have a dairy farm. And a uh, constant source of uh, conversation is not only the price of butter and milk, but also the season and how uniquely tied their life is to the creation. And so Reuben is actually using that also to tell the story of how uh, God's very active in all of our lives. Certain vocations, though, maybe it's a little bit, a little easier to, to see. All right, so that first part, exploring the neighborhood of history, when we approach history, we can't approach history just as simply one, one thing after another, isolated incidents, but actually... Incidences that are, are, are serving a purpose and moving towards something. So where, where are you going is actually a, a very uh, good question that we can ask one another. And fundamentally, the question is, where are we going? Where are we going where Jesus goes? And that's what Peterson now brings up in Jesus' death, the kerygma. This is page 137. The birth of Jesus provides our entrance into the reality and meaning of creation. This is the world of the Father revealed by Jesus. So we have Genesis 1, Colossians 1. We have the creed. That is the picture of Reuben. Uh, not picture of Reuben. Reuben's picture. Jesus shows us that the creation is something to be lived. The life of the farmer. Not just looked at. And the way he did it becomes the way we do it. Hence the question, Covatis. Where are you going? Well, I'm going where Jesus goes. And if anybody actually read the book, Covatis, I, I don't know about the movie because I haven't really seen the movie, just like the last 10 minutes of it. In the book, Covatis, that is actually what's happening. You have Peter walking this, this walk 
to the Colosseum. You have these martyrs walking to the Colosseum. They're, at, they're, they're following Jesus. They're walking the way of Jesus, literally, because they're martyrs. All right. The success story versus the salvation story. Um, how, we see, how we see our life now is, a, is through a biblical world. And now our life is shaped by the biblical narrative. And not by a narrative that we make up. And that's the beauty of the scripture. I was thinking about this as I was walking to church today. In fact, I, I, I grew up Baptist. And oftentimes, in the Baptist tradition, we have testimonies where someone would come up and he should be like a drug dealer who turned Christian or something kind of, the more fanciful, the better, right? Um, but as I was thinking about that, I realized that they're looking over their entire life and now seeing a, a very unique purpose serving that whole life. It actually is, you know, whether they're, 40 years old or 30 or whoever was giving the testimony, they could look back on their life and see that God had been very active all the way up to this point right now. And, and actually, now that I think about it, that is, that is actually what, what, we, we, what we, all of us should be doing, is that we see God active in our life. Now, I'll, I'll get to something in a little bit when we talk about Joseph is maybe perhaps the suspension of actually seeing the purpose, usually in the midst of struggle and chaos. We can't quite answer that question yet. But for those, those you know, people who gave those testimonies, they, they were very uh, good at seeing their life in a biblical narrative. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yep. And my question is as a Christian living with that opportunity. Yeah. 
Um, we're going to answer that in a second when we talk about Joseph. I, I well, I, I think it's the next slot. Well, actually, um, yeah, absolutely. Maybe I should, let's move quicker. Let's move quicker. Um, Sufan Stevens is a, uh, he's my, probably my age. He's a singer. Uh, uh, I'm actually, yeah, he's got a, he's got a great five-disc uh, Christmas album. Huh? Sufan Stevens. Johnny Cash here, Neil Young. Nirvana, Pearl. There we go. I want you guys to hear this uh, this song. I think I broke one of my speakers this morning.
They are. Oh, is that too loud? No. Okay. Yeah, I, I dropped them a couple days ago. Oops. Um, I happen to l- like this song, and this song keeps coming up in my brain every time I, I read this book. Um, one of the, I mean, the whole one of the first of all, it's the first song in the album, so this is kind of his declaration of what this rest of this album is going to be about, and. Um, Uh, and I'm still applied to what you are, and I'm joining all my thoughts to you. I'm preparing every part for you. There is this uh, great desire to be attached to what what we'll find out is... Uh, I'm sorry. Let me backtrack. The, the title of the song is All the Trees Clap Their Hands. Um and and basically what Sufan Stevens is really kind of creating is is a, is a world view in which that he is w- without without our lord this is going to be chaos this is going to not make sense for me so i need to join all my thoughts to you i need to be a, i need to be joined to you because it is only through you that that this is going to make sense and then in the second verse Things start to be start to make sense. The trees are are creating a great parade. The hills are creating a band. There's great joy. There's there's a there's a sense of arrival. And it's not until the last song that we actually it comes to kind of a complete. Uh, you find out who's coming, and what's happening. But there's also this, this questioning. Will I be invited to the sound? Will I be a part of what you made? So there, there's also this great uh, questioning and also uh, lack of control. He's not receiving all answers yet. But he, he has complete faith that something will be said at some time in some place in the future. So this song has is a even in the lack of uh, in the lack of complete knowledge, there's still great hope of something that's coming up, and so much hope that he, he he's going to throw away all his thoughts, all the bets, because he doesn't need to bet anymore. He's just he's made his decision to do this, to go this way. And one one of the, the things about this is that. Uh, I was thinking about this too on the walk over. It was Mark nine? Mark nine is is kind of a a wonderful picture of the disciple, of a disciple. It's the father who has a boy. You should probably just turn to it. I, I don't know if whoever has if you have a Bible. Mark chapter nine verse twenty four is. Uh, Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Um, it seizes him, throws him in the fire. Uh, and the dad asked the disciples to cast it out, but they weren't able to. Uh, 
And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. He's talking to the disciples there. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And, and, then, and this is great. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Which is always a, is a great paradox, I think, for people. And, and actually, it's captured in this song. Great demonstration of belief. I'm going to throw all my thoughts to you. I want to be part of who you are. But yet then there's these questions of unbelief. Will I be invited to this sound? Will I be a part of what you made? And I think in every one of us, there has to be, I shouldn't say there has to be, there will be times of unbelief. The thing is, though, we have, to, we have to define unbelief in terms of the gospel, Mark, because the great sin, the unforgivable sin, is unbelief. The, the Father, though, does believe. He believes and unbelieves at the same time. And it's a matter of who's going to win out. And what hope does is it doesn't allow for complete knowledge. You can't have complete knowledge because then you don't hope anymore. That's, that's the whole thing in, uh, was it Wednesday night or two Wednesday nights ago? Uh, you don't hope for what you already have. You don't hope for what you can already behold. I don't hope to see Carol anymore because I see her. So in the Gospel of Mark, um, this is how unbelief is defined. It's actually defined in terms of hope. Because at the end of the Gospel, the Gospel ends very funny. Actually, the earliest manuscripts end very funny. And it ends at, at Mark 16, verse 8. No, you actually don't see Jesus at the end of the Gospel. You see a boy in the tomb saying, you have to go to Galilee, just like he said he was going to be. He was going to be in Galilee. He's you guys got to go to Galilee, and then you'll see him. So you actually end the gospel with hope that you will see him, even though you don't see him right now. You go to Galilee, and you'll see him. Um, so there is, a, is a, a great richness in the gospel, Mark specifically, of, of the Christian uh, of the Christian walk of Christian discipleship that is thoroughly saturated with hope. And that's how we live our lives even here. We have these we have the sacraments in which we now partake uh, in the real in the real presence of our Lord and Savior. But those are also defined in terms of hope, of something we look forward to, of where are you going? If you've already arrived, you have no need for hope. Kirby. 
Absolutely. That's why, we, well, we're not singing it in church. Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, I think. I, Which is I think important. It would be really a better song if it started out with I, and towards the end, those last things say, and you are just, and you are joining all my, like, a more hopeful to me anyway. Sure. I don't think I can join all my thoughts to God or prepare every part of myself for him. Absolutely. So. Right. Yeah, and, and actually this this would be one of the, the important things of, of popular music, and maybe iTunes has destroyed that. Um, many, especially like Led Zeppelin and, and The Who, they write songs for an album, and it needs to be taken in its entirety. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but very good point. Absolutely. Yeah, question over here. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it goes both ways. I mean, it, that. I mean, that's the whole Mark Nine. I believe help my unbelief. I mean, there's there's a there's a great questioning. There's a great questioning about like. Um, you're really questioning the story, and is it is it? I think I think some people definitely question. You know, can I be a part of this story? And then on the, on the flip side, though, I think often people will say, is that, really, is that story really for me? Because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so because, A, I mean, this is where guilt and shame are horrible because they make you doubt this story is for you. So I think it works both ways. I mean, once, once you maybe are in this, um, once you're in the country of, of the Trinity, Guilt and shame can infect you to say, no, I, I don't think I'm ready for this, or I, I don't want this, or, or maybe I'm not strong enough for this. Uh, I, guilt and shame works both ways in, in, in each person. So, but it, it's, it's good to be aware of, especially when you're interacting with others and um, on the journey, that you're aware of how uh, guilt and shame infects affects the walk because some will say maybe I'm not strong enough to make this journey and then that's when you say well actually our, our Savior is strong enough to get you through this journey yeah Carla
Sure. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, absolutely. In fact, I, I think that's one of Peterson's points. And I think I'm working towards that. I don't know if we'll even get to it today, but is that, um, yeah, we can, we can see the country of Trinity far off, you could say. And I can understand it from here. But the whole point, and I, I think Pastor Ganning maybe went through the icon of the Trinity with you, right? Did he do that? Maybe not. There's an icon of the Trinity, and there's actually the fourth spot. In this, okay. And that's it. It's the drawing in of the, of, of the Trinity into the person. It's, it's this whole reality that's being drawn into the person. Because really, you can only uh, see the Reuben painting as God's work in history. Uh, you can only see it as God's work in history if it's actually in you. This is not something that's cerebral, but it's actually now lived in real life, with real people, which is, which is the drawing straight lines with a crooked stick. In Genesis 50 through, uh, 15 through 21, which is Joseph and his brothers, Jacob's just died. They buried him. Um, and this is now, this is where we're getting to, to Jen's question. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph's response is very interesting. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. We will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, um, I think the quote here on the, on the board here, there are punishing consequences, of course, but the fact is that all these people, good and bad, faithful and flawed, 
are worked into the plot of salvation. God, it turns out, does not require good people in order to do good work. Is that, and this, this is probably the most difficult question for all of us, is that how can these horrible, horrific events be actually incorporated into the grander scheme of salvation? But when we draw our eyes upon Jesus, this is the fundamental thing. Is this the next? No, no, I don't know what it is. Maybe I didn't ask it. The problem of our world is Jesus' death. This is the horrific thing, the most horrific thing in the world. Um, so the biblical narrative actually makes, makes way for these horrific events that happen in Omaha and Columbine. The thing is, though, we know the grander scheme of things. We know somehow this is worked out into the story of salvation. Uh, we'll always want to be asking more specific questions. I think let, let's kind of work it onto a personal level. We'll always ask what's God's will perhaps for our lives or, or where does God want me or questions like this that we ask ourselves. The thing is, though, God's already told us how everything's going to turn out. He's already told us the end of the story. He, he can't wait, so he's just going to tell us. This is the end of the world. This is, how, this is the end of our reality. You and me together in heaven. That's unshakable. That's, the, that's revelation. But somehow everything that happens in our life causes us to, to kind of doubt that that's actually going to happen. So then we start beginning to ask ourselves, what's God's will in my life? Well, God's will in my life is, is salvation. That's what the will is. This is Jesus' prayer on the Mount of Olives. Not my will, but your will be done. Well, what's, what's God's will? It's salvation. Yeah, but I'm going I'm to have to die. I'm going to have to be hung on a cross. Um, we can always ask why, 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 uh, why did things like Columbine happen and uh, 9-11 and all these horrific things. Well, it happens because, I mean, probably the most uh, sterile answer is because there's sin in the world. and We've brought this upon ourselves. Um, but that's not very helpful, that, that answer, is it? So we can actually say, I don't, I don't know how this fits into it, but I know this somehow fits into the story of salvation, and there will be something happening through this that will actually work towards, towards man's salvation. But, I, you know, those things, we don't know. All the, question, the answers to the questions. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Carol. Yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it won't be just Moses, too. I mean, there, 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 in fact, there's all these, these, uh, these narratives that, uh, that happen that allow for the salvation of his people. And it's boiled down then, keeps, you know, you have these great stories of these great people, and it keeps, and then it happens in Jesus. It's the same stories. Death for salvation. Gigi. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, sort of. Right. Sure. Right. Oh, right. Because like you're saying, you know the end of the story. So, and you have said, there is going to be times when there's a struggle and chaos where we're not going to be able to see. Right. But so it's like, just, we know we have the power and the, the Lord's giving power to suspend disbelief. Yeah. Sure. Right. Well, it, 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 exactly. And the funny thing is, too, like you talking about the theater. I mean, how many people, you know, we we love a movie and we go see an, uh, the same movie over again. Man, and we're still enraptured by the same story, even though we know what how it's all going to end. We still get lost into that story. So the so let's push it even further. We actually willingly suspend our belief, even in a movie we saw a second time. Yeah, we still, exactly. But, I mean, yes, we got to stop. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. Um, I think there was only two more. Oh, yeah, what's wrong with the world? Yeah, okay, well. Um, next week, I think we're going to talk about an intimidation and exploit. Oh, yeah, in January. We'll have to suspense. What's the date today? We're not meeting next week? 
Oh, we were. Okay, good. Because it's on schedule, right? Um, no problemo. Say, I, I apologize for uh, this morning. Thanks for putting up with me. But uh, let's pray. Or do we? What do we do? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.